Jesus is the greatest gift that has ever been given. Amen? Amen. Truly, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. And uh, we kind of started this little mini-series of sort on Wednesday night where we considered the fact that uh, Jesus, when he came, he brought peace. Amen? And uh, he is the Prince of Peace. Tonight, I want to consider the gift that keeps on giving salvation. We ought to praise the Lord every single day for the salvation that we have through Jesus. May we never forget that as Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, we ought never get over the fact that he saved us. Amen? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. They'll put that on the screen for us. The Bible says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We ought to thank God every single day for the salvation that we have through Jesus but I think what we have to also understand is that our salvation doesn't stop when we're saved for the, from the penalty of sin. That, that's not where it ends. No, salvation is one of those things that is the gift that just keeps on giving. In fact, as you study our salvation in the scripture, salvation and, and what it brings to our lives ought to be a vital part of our everyday life, not just eternal life. Salvation, we know, makes everything new. It brings us new life. It makes us a new creature. It brings new transformation. It makes us a part of a new family. It gives us a new citizenship in heaven. I think sometimes, though, it's easy to miss the present gift of grace that salvation is. Sometimes we live in such a way like, yeah, we get saved from the penalty of sin. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to go to hell, amen. And one day, boy, one day heaven will be grand. Boy, I'm sure looking forward to going to heaven. But, oh, man, I'm just, I'm stuck here right now. And I guess I just got to muddle through till Jesus comes or takes me home. I'm going to tell you, you're missing out on a lot salvation wants to bring you. Because it's not just saving you from hell. And it's not just going to bring you to heaven one day. No, salvation ought to be a vital part of our everyday life. Salvation is meant to provide victory for the Christian yesterday today, and forever. Amen? Now, I think one of the greatest passages to help us understand the present blessing that salvation is, is over in Romans chapter number 6. So turn over there, Romans chapter 6. That's where we're going to be for the remainder of the service. Because I love how Paul lays it out here, how salvation is the gift that keeps on giving. So we're going to talk about the beauty of this gift tonight. Uh, the beauty of the gift of salvation. Not just for yesterday, not just for one day, but every day, today. Oh, don't give away my points yet, Mr. Middall. You're giving them away early. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Let's talk about the beauty of this gift. What does it say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So let's talk about this gift of salvation. What it means for us today. It's a beautiful gift. I want you to know first of all. The beauty of our death. The beauty of our death. You say well preacher that's a weird point. Let me explain. As we consider here the first seven verses of this chapter, I think one of the key words for us to draw out from this passage is the word to know. God wants us to understand Bible truth. Oftentimes, Christian living depends on Christian learning. Very often, if if Satan is able to keep us ignorant, he can also keep us pretty impotent in our Christian life. So what do we need to know about our death? At salvation, the Bible teaches that we are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why it's so important to be baptized. Because it is that outward picture of what Christ has done. We are buried in the likeness of his death and we are raised to walk in newness of life. And when you and I got saved, part of us died. And that's a beautiful thing. What did Paul say in Galatians 2 and verse number 20? He said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He says, in the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you and I got saved, part of us died. You know what that part is? Verse number 6 tells us. He says, knowing This, that our old man is crucified with him. When you got saved, hallelujah, your old man died. He dead. He's gone. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. Now that is our present personal reality that we have the opportunity to live every day. I'm not who I used to be, amen? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul lists that laundry list of sins, of uh, of things that aren't going to be found in the kingdom of heaven. And and he talks about all of these things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6 says this, And such were, past tense, some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. When we get saved, we are not the man or woman we used to be. And that old man is crucified with Christ. He is dead. But I'm afraid sometimes many believers gear themselves up to fail. Sometimes I think we give way too much credit to the old man. Sometimes I hear people, and I understand the sentiment behind it, they'll say things like, well, uh, I'm just a saved old sinner. Well, well, yes, we are a sinner saved by grace, but my identity is not a sinner anymore. I'm a saint. 
I'm a child of God. I'm a new creature. It changes, amen? We give too much credence to the old man. We give too much credit to him. I've heard the illustration many times as, 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 a, as a pastor and as a parishioner. I've heard the illustration, you know, we've got that war taking place within us. Galatians 5, the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And you've probably all heard it. It's the old adage of, of the Indian chief. And he paints the picture. There's two dogs within me. And they're battling it out. And someone asks the old chief, well, which dog wins? And the chief says, well, whichever dog I feed, that's the one that wins the fight. And I understand. I understand the sentiment behind that. We want to feed the spirit and starve the flesh. But hear me. The picture that Paul paints is is not of two equal dogs battling it out. No, if you want to get an accurate picture of two dogs, well, well, make the old man, make your flesh a dead chihuahua. Because your flesh is, your old man is crucified with Christ. That's not who you are anymore. Make that new man a big old strong great Dane. I'm going to tell you, under normal circumstances, the dead chihuahua has no chance against the great Dane. Amen? And so, under the normal circumstance of Christian life, this is the beauty of our death. The old man has no chance against the new man. There is no competition there. Hmm. Think about it this way. Death brings certain limitations. There is a problem when we try to make dead things live again. Typically, zombie movies are not heartwarming tales. Of any kind. Zombie tales are horror. And I will tell you, it's no different when we go out of our way to try to resurrect our old man, to try to live in the flesh. It's a horror show. And church, we ought not try to resurrect what God has put to death. The beauty of our, of our death, the salvation that we have is the gift that keeps on giving because we got to know, we got to know it here, that our old man is crucified with him. Hey, we were once dead in sin, but praise God, now we're dead to sin. Your old man is dead. When it says here in verse number 6 that the body of sin might be destroyed, it has the idea not of to annihilate because we know I still struggle with the old man. I still have my flesh. So it doesn't mean to destroy, but what it does mean is to render powerless. To put it this way, our salvation provided not just salvation from the penalty of sin, but also provided grace for salvation over the power of sin. I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian tonight, you're not just some patched up old person. Jesus didn't just take it and patch it and, well, I guess that's the best I could do under the circumstances. No, 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 no. You are a new man. You are a new woman. You are a new creature. You are a brand new person. And baptism illustrates the beauty of it. The beauty of our death is that the old man is dead. And we have got to know it. I'm going to tell you, when we forget the fact that our old man is crucified with Christ, you know what happens? We wander and we struggle like Egypt wandering and struggling between, like Israel wandering and struggling between Egypt and the promised land, like the apostles wandering and struggling between Good Friday and Easter. 
But when you think of salvation and how it is the gift that keeps on giving, we have to understand the beauty of our death. That our old man truly is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. But I'm going to tell you, salvation is the gift that just keeps on giving. Amen? Look what Paul says, verse number 8. He says, now... If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Consider the beauty of our death. Our old man is crucified with him. Our key word there is no. We got to know it. Amen. <laughs> Secondly, tonight, as we consider the salvation as it is the gift that keeps on giving, we also see not only the beauty of our death, but the beauty of our deliverance. The beauty of our deliverance. The key word here is reckon. Now, this is not what the good old boy says is, as he leans over the fence. Well, I reckon should be good fishing today. It's not what that means. Well, I reckon might not be such a bad winner after all. Again, not what that means. Good old boys use it, amen. But here, it is an accounting term. And what it means is that we not just know something, but we count it as fact so that we can act confidently upon it. In other words, as God calls us to reckon these things, He wants what we believe to affect how we behave. That our beliefs ought to affect, ought to direct our behavior. The beauty of our deliverance. You see, we didn't just die with Christ. We are resurrected with Him as well. See, we didn't just die with Christ. We get to walk in newness of life with Him as well. The Bible says that Jesus died once for sin, but He lives forever for us. You know, I think sometimes one of the shortcomings of many Christians and many churches is an adequate view of Christ. Very often we picture him as a baby in a manger, which is fine. Very often he's, he's pictured as the, the, the suffering servant on the cross, which again is fine. But I remind us tonight that Jesus is no longer in a cradle. And Jesus is no longer on a cross. Jesus is risen. Jesus is ascended. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, and one day Jesus is coming again. Amen. I love the picture in Revelation 19 and verse 11 through 16. John said, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he just judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called, is called the Word of God. And the armies of which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron." And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. 
And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, church, he's no longer in a cradle. He's no longer on a cross. He's on the throne. He's on the throne. And I'm going to tell you, only when our appreciation for who Christ is, only when we appreciate his position like we ought, can we appropriate his power and promises like we ought. Let me give you an example. If my daughter wrote me a check for a million dollars, I would laugh. (laughs) I would ask her why she wasted the paper. I would ask her, first of all, where she got a check. You know the one thing I wouldn't do? I wouldn't take it to the bank and try to cash it. Because she can promise all she wants, but she can't back it up. Here's the thing. He can back up every promise he's ever made. And you see, we're not just crucified with him. We are risen with him. And when he tells us that we have the capacity, look what it says, verse 11, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'm going to tell you, everything he's ever told us to do, he's good on his promise to empower us to do it. But we got to reckon it so. We've got to reckon it so. We have to allow our beliefs to determine our behavior. Just as his death is my death, his victory is my victory. And i got to wake up every day and reckon it so. Every day I live, I have to reckon, take account of the fact that I have been delivered, amen? I'm not just dead, I've been delivered. And I have to reckon it so, that I am dead to sin and alive unto God and reckon it so. I'm going to tell you, this is not something that I have to feel. This is something I have to reckon. I'm not always going to feel it. But it's true whether or not I feel it. Let me give you an example. It doesn't often feel like morning. How many of you, you wake up and you're like, oh, wonderful. I know it's morning because I feel it in my heart. And you throw open the windows and... And, and, and then the angel choir is singing and, and you skip your way to, to brush your teeth and, and, and the birds chirp along with you. And how many of you, that's your reality in the morning? Oh, I hate mornings. I hate mornings so much. I hate mornings so much. I'm like, oh. It doesn't feel like morning. It feels like it should be like still 3 a.m. so I can go back to sleep for a couple more hours. Can I get a witness? But whether it feels like morning or not, it is morning. And I would do well to reckon it so. Otherwise, I'm going to miss out on what God has planned for me. Otherwise, I'm not going to be where I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of Christians out there. Well, I just don't feel like, like I've got that victory and I just don't feel. 
it really doesn't matter how you feel. Reckon it so. Because it's true whether you feel it or not. That, that, that because you are saved, you are dead to sin and you have been delivered. You are alive unto God. Reckon it so. It's a beautiful thing. Salvation is just the gift that keeps on giving. Amen. I mean, we see the beauty of our death, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. We see the beauty of our deliverance, that that we are indeed dead unto sin, but we've been delivered. We're alive unto God. The beauty of our death, the beauty of our deliverance. But finally tonight, I want you to see the beauty of our decision. Verses 11 through 14. Paul wrote, likewise, reckon... Ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. The beauty of our death. The beauty of our deliverance. And finally tonight, the beauty of our decision. If the key word for the beauty of our death was to know, we have to know that that old man is crucified with him. The key word for the beauty of our deliverance was to reckon. We had to take account and act with confidence upon the reality that we are dead to sin but alive unto God. I'm going to give you one more key word here. The beauty of our decision, the key word here is yield. Yield. The word yield means to be at the disposal of. To be dedicated to or surrendered to. And as we read these verses, to let not sin reign in our mortal bodies. To not yield ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness, but to yield ourselves unto God. As we hear that, what we have here is we have a call to discipleship and discipline. Praise God, salvation makes it possible for me to get up every day and follow Jesus. Salvation makes that possible. Not my willpower. Salvation makes that possible for me to wake up every stinking morning, amen? Because I still don't like mornings. And follow Jesus. There's a call to discipleship here, but there's also a call to discipline. There's a discipline that I have to learn to say no to the dead old man. And I have to learn to say yes to the alive new man. Think about like the discipline of an athlete. Here's the thing about an athlete. Believe it or not, chocolate tastes good to them too. Chocolate tastes good to them too. And yet they discipline themselves to train. I don't discipline myself. You think of the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 25. Here he he likens the athlete to the Christian. He says, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, moderate, self-controlled in all things. And they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Verse 26, he said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or disqualified for reward. 
as important as the job as the athlete is to be disciplined, the job of the Christian to be disciplined is more so. They do it to obtain earthly honor. We do it to obtain eternal honor and to give eternal glory to our king. And so the discipline of the Christian, but it's hard. Isn't it hard to be disciplined? Go back to the food. Chocolate tastes good, amen? And I like, I, like, I like white chocolate. I like milk chocolate. I like dark chocolate. I like all chocolate. Amen and amen. Man. So I was thinking to myself recently, you know what, self, you've, not, you've been busy, so we'll give you a pass. But it's probably time that, that you get your carcass up and get moving again. So we need to like start jogging or something because at a certain point you're going to have to buy new pants and we really don't want to get to that point. But we are getting to that point, but we don't want to. So we got to do something about it. Amen. You guys, you picking up what I'm laying down? So I thought to myself, I said, self, <clears throat> Thanksgiving's coming. We'll do it after Thanksgiving. <laughs> it wouldn't be right. I mean, because people would be wondering, like, why aren't you eating what you normally eat at Thanksgiving? And I would be drawing attention away from what really ought to have the attention at Thanksgiving. And so I don't want to be that guy. So we'll do it after Thanksgiving. But then after Thanksgiving, we had leftovers. And I thought, but if I let the leftovers go to waste, I wouldn't be being a good steward. We'll do it after the leftovers. So then we went to the senior ladies' luncheon, and uh, one of our ladies prepared like a little take-home thing for us. It was a tin, about yay big, filled with nothing but chocolates. And I thought to myself, what a generous gift. I'm about halfway through that tin already. Uh, Thursday, since Thursday. Um, And I'm like, man, it would be wrong for me not to enjoy the blessing that has been extended to me. And then I think, like, we got Christmas cookies from somebody today, and poof. So I'm like, you know what? After Christmas, after Christmas. But honestly, as I thought about it, I was like, New Year's, New Year's 2035 would probably be a great time for me to start this, right? Because discipline is hard. It's hard. Here's the thing, though, church. When it comes to discipleship and discipline, when it comes to this concept of yielding, being dedicated or surrendered to, the question is not whether or not you will yield, but rather the question is to whom will you yield? You see, nature abhors a vacuum. When something is removed, something else moves in to take its place. And I'm going to tell you, church, as we consider spiritually uh, our desire to be disciplined, to be good disciples of the Lord Jesus, self-reformation is not the answer. God has not called us to work really, really hard to sweep away all the bad stuff so we look shiny. In fact, Jesus warned against that in in the book of Matthew, chapter number 12, beginning in verse 43. He talks about when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he, he walketh through dry places and seeks rest and finds none. And he saith, the unclean spirit, I will return into the house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it swept, empty, and garnished. In other words, this man, is he's cleaned up his life. He's got this self-reformation thing that, that he's happened. 
But these things come back and then go with he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be into this wicked generation. Self-reformation is not the answer. Spiritual renewal and transformation is. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these verses. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know what that is? That's yielding. That's that word. That's yielding. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Think about the beauty of our decision. The word here is to yield. The decision to yield, to say no to the old man, to say yes to the new man, to to, to yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness unto God. The decision to yield and to submit ourselves from God is not so much so that he can take something from us, but so that he can freely give to us the grace we need to live in the victory he's already provided. You know, I've got to recognize some things. I've got to recognize, first of all, that I cannot live in victory without him. I can't do it. So I must decide every day to yield to him. I also have to recognize that he will not give, he will not give it, speaking of victory, without me. And so I must yield. The principle here is this, that the present victory of salvation is not so much my responsibility to accomplish. Rather, it is my response to what he has already accomplished. And that is I choose every day, every moment to yield myself to him. I'm going to tell you the beauty here. The decision is that I must yield. The beauty is that I can always yield myself. You know, there is never a situation that you're going to face where you can't choose to yield yourself to God in that situation. There'll never be a temptation so, so strong that you can't choose to yield to God. And He will, 1 Corinthians 10, provide a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There's never a hardship that's so hard that you can't choose to yield to God. There's never a situation so perplexing that you can't choose to yield to God. That's the beauty of that decision. I can always yield myself. And when I do choose to yield myself, He will always do what He does so well. Think about it this way. Why fight a battle I've already lost? when I can enjoy the victory he's already won. Jesus, the greatest Christmas gift is the gift that keeps on giving. And church, your salvation is no exception. Don't think of salvation like it was just pardon for sin yesterday and the promise of heaven tomorrow. You know, sometimes we treat salvation like a bread maker. I mean, we got it, and it was nice, and I'm sure one day we'll use it. 
but I still don't know what's for dinner. Amen? The gift of salvation. Boy, I'm so glad for that day I got saved. Amen? And if you're here tonight and you don't have that day you got saved, make today the day you got saved. I'm so glad for the day I got saved. I'm so glad for the day that I'm getting to go to heaven one day. But here's the thing. Salvation is not just for yesterday. It's not just for one day. Praise God. Salvation is for today. It is the gift that just keeps on giving. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you that, that we do have salvation, Lord, from the penalty of our sin. Lord, that one day we will be saved from the very presence of sin in heaven. But Father, I pray that you'd help us never to lose sight of the fact that today, because of the salvation you have provided, we can truly have salvation from the power of sin in our lives. Lord, help us to know that that old man is crucified with you. Lord, help us to reckon that, that we're not just dead to sin, but we're alive to God. And Lord, help us to make that decision each day, each moment, to yield ourselves to you, our great God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand tonight, heads bowed, eyes closed. Hey, let's, sit, let's spend some time tonight and thank God for our salvation. Let's thank God for all that He's done. Maybe tonight we need to take some time and, and appropriate that salvation. And recognize, you know what, Lord, I've been struggling. I've not been having victory here, but, but the salvation you've purchased for me. As God has spoken to you tonight, would you respond to Him?